Welcome back to another episode of Somewhere Between, a podcast made by Asian adoptees for Asian adoptees. I'm Amy, and today we're joined by our special guest, Pema. Thanks for joining us, Pema. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, do you want to tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I am a junior at American University, which is located in Washington, D.C. I'm majoring in public health with a minor in business leadership and management. And currently, I'm in Austin, Texas. Nice. And you're an adoptee from China, is that correct? Yes. I was adopted at six months old from Jian, which is in Jiangxi province. Awesome. Well, nice to quote-unquote meet you. Thanks for joining us today. Um, so one of the reasons that we really wanted to have Pema on was she has a really amazing and interesting story, in my opinion. We're going to focus a lot about her search for her birth parents, actually, which is, I know, something that a lot of us have either thought about, tried to do, or, you know, is just one of those big adoptee questions. Oh, are you going to look for your birth parents? Kind of hangs over all of us. So uh, I'm really excited to get to hear what your journey has been like so far in that whole process. Um, so what kind of initiated your search for your birth parents for you? Well, growing up, I've always been kind of involved in the Chinese American community. And um, I did a lot of culture camps. I've gone back to China several different times to do different cultural programs, volunteering with within orphanages. And um, I didn't feel like there was a missing piece within my life, but I did kind of want to see what was out there. And so my mom and I actually talked a little bit about it. And so we have this thing at my school called a senior project. And so for my senior project, I wanted to try to schedule and arrange a birth parent search. And so we were given the whole month of, I believe, May within our senior year to kind of do any project that we wanted. And we had a faculty mentor to help us along the way. And so um, what I did is I took every single week, I took a different task. So maybe the first week was, okay, uh, how are other people doing birth? birth parent searches or another week would be um, what kind of searches are popular or um, what kind of foods are popular within Gion. And so just getting to know the atmosphere of my birth country, how China does searches, are there any success stories, are there any kind of online blogs or, or online community that I could re reach out to, who are these searcher people who help adoptees conduct searches. So it was a very long month and, and kind of a long process both introspectively looking at, okay, who am I? Wh what do I want to find out? And then what can I find out? So that was kind of what that whole month was about. And so towards the end of that month, I was able to give a presentation to a small group of students within the school about what I found and what I thought was relevant. Wow. That sounds like, one, a ton of information just to file through and condense down into what's actually you know usable and relevant and not but also it sounds like a really emotional month especially being a senior in high school I don't know if I was ready to to handle all of those feelings oh my gosh <laughs> yeah definitely an interesting experience because at first, I was thinking, oh, I'll just plan this birth parent search to, to do somewhere in the near future. And then my parents were like, oh, my gosh, you have the summer right before college. Why don't we actually make this happen? So I was planning very intentionally because I was going to go to China that, that summer. And so that was kind of an wow. interesting <laughs> planning period. But um, what I really liked about part of my search was I got to know more about myself. So I um, kind of dived into 23andMe. Are you fami familiar with that? Yeah, I actually, that's the DNA service that I used. Oh my gosh, yeah. So I uh, was able to look through my 23andMe and um, this is how I kind of originally started out my search process is I looked through some of my DNA relatives and I found this like, sixth or seventh cousin which is really really far away and um but <laughs> I was able to kind of like contact her 
And she said that she lived in Gion for the longest time. And she had grandparents who lived there for a while. And they would always visit their ancestral graves, which is really cool. And so um, I kind of lost contact with with, with her as, as the process went on. But I was able to talk with her a little bit. She seemed a little bit hesitant to disclose information. But it was definitely cool to be able to locate someone that I was relatively related to and have a little bit of a conversation. Yeah, that's amazing. And I know that 23andMe isn't the most popular for people in China or the Chinese, like still, you know, in other countries. Right. Um, So that's really amazing that you were able to connect, even someone so distant. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I feel like that's one of the 23andMe jokes for adoptees is like, oh, you have another fifth cousin. And you're like, great. Yeah, it was was funny because I was able to look at my relatives and a lot of them were obviously within China, but a lot of them were on the West Coast in California. So, oh, wow. um, Yeah, I have like five or six very distant cousins there. So that's kind of neat. That's really cool. Also, that is kind of a zero to 60 kind of moment for you I feel like you you started this idea of let me let me search and get all this prep information for my senior project and then your parents said hey why why stop at the research let's just go like that's very that's a very different mindset I feel like from one end to the other yeah and at first I wasn't really aware of that because I spent again the first two weeks of the senior project just saying like what is a birth parent search what have people found and I thought that that those were very transformational weeks because going into a birth parent search you have to be kind of aware of all the different outcomes that that can possibly happen and it's all it's not all sunshine and roses that people kind of say it is and so I really wanted to watch different documentaries, watch different movies, read online blogs, um, go on to YouTube and see how other people did did their birth parent searches. I was able to join a lot of different Facebook groups, not only for kids who are adopted from China, but also the parents who were able to kind of help with, with different searches. And so hearing their stories and being able to see what they found helpful and what their kind of um, challenges were really helped me within my search. And um, a thing to really be aware of is that this is this could potentially be very life changing and it, re- it, it can really affect other people's lives. Um, there's a story that I heard that um, this girl, she was able to kind of find her birth parents and um, the mother, like she connected with her birth father and they were going to the father was going to bring her back to her birth mother. But the day before that happened the birth mother was very distraught and very just like overwhelmed with the whole idea of meeting her birth daughter um and so that night she actually committed suicide because she was like very ashamed about what about what she did um so just knowing that reconnecting can have that kind of impact you have to be very very conscious and really think about what you're doing because you're not only changing your life but you may be changing other people's lives and so um, going into this situation I was very very aware about what my actions were am I ready for for this are my parents ready and so that's kind of what I was thinking going into this. that's definitely that's one that's awfully tragic oh my gosh um but two that that is a really good thing to keep at the forefront because I feel like a lot of people when they ask adoptees in general they they think oh like you're gonna like open or close adoption or they're gonna you know there's a certain expectation or idea of what a birth parent like looking for your birth parents is and they kind of they themselves don't think about it and then because it's almost like a a normalized and standard question that adoptees get I think it's really easy to to lose that sight of this is not something that people enter in lightly. This is a very big decision. And I think that's something really important, like you said, to remain aware of. Yeah, and there's another story that I kind of want to share that that goes along with your point in terms of cultural awareness in the sense that, um, um, you know how a lot of 
Chinese families, it's very important for them to have their kids take care of them when they are older, you know? Mm -hmm. And so this girl came back and she reconnected. And of course they were going to keep in touch, but these birth parents had the expectation that she was going to drop her whole life within America and kind of take care of them and give them money and visit them two or three times a year and basically move in and, and, and take care of them. And so having that conversation when you barely even know these these people, you know, is is overwhelming. And so you kind of have to say, okay, like what am I comfortable with? Where are my boundaries? What do I what am I willing to do? And what am I not willing to do? And so um, that was also really striking within my birth parent search because I was able to mentally like think about what what I'd be willing to do. Like I would not be willing to drop my whole life and take care of people who I don't really, really know, but I would be comfortable with sending letters every, every now and then or sending pictures or something like that. So having very clear expectations about what you want. That's also, that's something I actually, I never even thought of. I, it makes complete absolute sense now that you're saying that, but until you said that I had never even thought like what, I mean, beyond the, just the abstract of like, what does it mean to find my parents? But in the, in the tangible, what does it mean to, to find your birth parents and try to establish a relationship with them? That's another question that I feel like isn't thought about or talked about enough for adoptees who are just beginning their search of like, what does that mean to you? Right, exactly. And honestly, um, with the birth parent search, it's not only finding your birth parents, but it's also finding potential siblings. And so for me, that was what was more interesting. I didn't really like, okay, I was like, okay, maybe I'll find my birth parents. But what I really wanted to find was siblings, because they would be around my age now. And um, they it, it's a little bit of a less of emotional burden, because it wasn't their decision to give give you up. So it's more of a neutral kind of, oh, we kind of look the same, we're around the same age, we may have more things to connect upon. And so that was what was interesting to me when going through this search also. Yeah, definitely. I feel like we've all, anybody who submitted DNA to an adop- uh, to a database like that, who's an adoptee has always thought of like, oh, what if like, I know it's unrealistic, but what if I entered my DNA and I was like, you have a brother. We've all had that thought, I think, um, and how, Either we, we want that to happen or we don't or whatever. Uh, it's a very common one, I think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's actually super crazy because um, I actually know of two girls who ended up being sisters. And what? so one of them I went to um, China with through Adopting. And uh, she um, had a sister and she didn't re- really know, but they were both on 23andMe. And then once I went off to college, this was like four years later. So this girl came up to me and, and I had seen her around because we chatted a little bit here and there and I knew she was adopted. And she said, Hey, I was looking at someone's Instagram and I saw that you were mutual friends with, with this person. How do you know them? All this stuff. And so I said, Oh, I met her through adopting. We went to China together. And then she was like, wow, this may sound so crazy, but I just found out that she's my biological sister. And so they both live in the United States and it's very interesting to see both of them because I know both of their Instagram handles and stuff. So I've, I've looked at different pictures and they look alike and I have met them at separate times within my life, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. That's crazy. What a small yeah. world, Pompeo's, you know? Small world. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely insane. Um, I wanted to kind of circle back also, if that's okay, to yeah. um, the search process itself. So we've kind of on the podcast talked about the generalities of it, but so did you find somebody to help aid you, like a searcher um, when you were you know, really going into your like birth parent search? Yes. So that was a task that took a couple of weeks because when you look up, oh, birth parent searcher, China, Jiangxi province, like 
not a lot comes up or it's in a different language. And mm-hmm. I have taken a little bit of Mandarin, but I'm definitely not fluent. So I really relied on Google Translate and other people's translations. And so looking through the different Facebook feeds, I was able to find a few searchers' names. And the person we ended up going with, her name is Jane. And um, she didn't have like a direct email or a direct phone number. And so part of the search was, was like, is this person even real? Can I, can I get a hold of them? Are they available? Mm-hmm. Um, is this a dream come, come true kind of thing? And so um, I was able to contact Jane through an app called WeChat. And so um, that's kind of what we did. And so once we contacted her and kind of worked out dates and pricing and different things, she said that we could search with her for a week. And she said more than a week would not be helpful. She said a week was about perfect. And so um, before I kind of went to China, she and I worked on my WeChat post. And so this is like a WeChat flyer that could be sent virtually or have people scan a QR code and my like little flyer would, would pop up. And so my mom, Jane and I, through my senior project, worked on the different information we wanted to use within that flyer. So we put um, my like two or three photos of me at different ages. That was really helpful, like profile views. So it wasn't me and friends, it was just me. Um, We included a little bit about where my finding place was. I was supposedly found by a police station um, within China and kind of how old they thought I was. And um, then of course, a little bit about my life within America, because you want to get people excited and wanting to help you. So I mentioned a little bit about my hobbies and where I went to school and that I was a good student and all these other different things to make it a a little bit more personal. Um, So once we created that flyer, we typed it up within English and then Jane, she translated it all into Mandarin, which was super cool to see. So um, we had that. And so that was again, part of my senior project. Okay. Wow. What, um, what is the general cost of a searcher for people who are thinking about hiring one or thinking about looking for one, would you say? Yeah. So I actually, my parents didn't really tell me the cost. They just kind of talk with Jean separately, but (laughs) it's, it's by day. So, so you need a searcher by day and I believe it's like 200 to 250 possibly per day um and so she does all the translating she does all the connection making she's really the liaison between you and and everyone else and she works with you before you you go to China and then when you're in China so um, we actually used her twice that summer because my brother also did his birth parent search a week before I did. Okay. So um, yeah, so that was really cool. So we got to work with her two weeks in a row and actually got to form a connection with her. So that was cool. That's really cool. And I feel like that, not that they, they don't do all of that, obviously, for you know their, their people, but to have that connection, it kind of adds that personal touch to the experience. Yeah, exactly. And first of all, like one of the questions I had was, um, what do you look for within a searcher? And through the blogs and different articles that I read is that you want someone super, super knowledgeable of the place. So we asked Jane, okay, so where have you done birth parent searches and what provinces, how many success stories have you had? And something that was also unique about Jane was that she also did um, adoption kind of journeys if that makes sense um so she helped parents go and adopt children and she like translated so she saw that side of the adoption process and Mm -hmm. she was able to then work with families who had adopted to see if they could find their biological family so it was kind of a full circle and she was the full package and she was friendly kind she was very very knowledgeable and um, she really just like took our hand and kind of said, okay, this is what we are going to do, which was very, very helpful for our family. That's fantastic. 
and that's having someone who has those different viewpoints for the process itself I feel like is really an invaluable asset to you know the whole experience too yes super super helpful and another thing that I kind of learned throughout this search process was um just how have you heard of like the birth parent triad thing I don't think so actually so it's um your birth family your adopted family and you and it creates a triangle and there's a lot of um there has to be pain and sorrow in the triangle like there's okay I'm gonna restate that hold on (laughs) um okay sorry so um there's the birth parent triad which has your birth family your adopted family and you and in this triangle there is sadness and pain on both sides because obviously your birth family had to give you up and for your adopted family at least in my case my parents had a lot of fertility issues and they were really really sad about that and then me I was obviously sad about possibly losing my birth family and I was scared about joining my my new family but within Mm -hmm. all that pain and sorrow there's a lot of joy and happiness that can come out of it because um, even though the birth family may not know this, but I ended up in a very safe, loving home and my parents were really happy because they now have a child and I'm happy because I have a lot of opportunity. So there's mm. this idea of this birth parent triad that I kind of learned about through my senior project, which was very helpful. Yeah. I think that is a beautifully put and accurate you know just analysis of the whole idea of like adoption in general and like what that means and how how deep that like all of those emotions can run just that's really yeah I really like that (laughs) yeah and I don't know have have you kind of thought about what the adoption process like means a little bit because that's kind of what I was thinking about going through my search I've definitely I think I quarantine has especially how long quarantine has been has really allowed me to delve into those emotions and kind of delve into the community itself which is something that I never really felt the need I mean I had slight desires you know 2am scrolling through Facebook you know are there any adoptee groups out there but I never really delved into what all of that is but I think over quarantine I've really kind of been able to sit with myself on those things even as uncomfortable as it may feel um just how how it's at one point one facet of our lives but also how deep that facet runs if that makes sense yes I I totally understand and feel that too I mean through my search I was able to kind of understand the darker side of adoption and what that kind of meant within my story Mm -hmm. and I think that's really important for people who want to go through the search process to understand very fully in depth about like the one child policy and how um, the international adoption process was a very big kind of money maker for China and sometimes that led them to do things that what that weren't so ethical, such as um, like incentivizing parents to give up their their kids or kidnapping children. And yeah. so learning about that during my during that one month senior project was very eye opening because I was like, oh my gosh, like is this how I came to America by? Like was I kidnapped? Like, was I taken away when a family wanted me? And so processing those emotions and kind of understanding what that possibly could mean was very helpful before I went to China because a lot a lot of it in China was, oh, this is this is your story. This is um, this is where you were left. But mm-hmm. as like as I was reading articles here in the States, I realized that a lot of the information that they give you within China or on your documents are falsified. 
in some way or, or another and um, they don't actually want you to like find your birth parents and yeah. um, so sometimes they just pick a map and say oh you were left at this market you're left at this police station you're left at the steps of the orphanage when that really wasn't the, the case and so there's a lot of mystery behind it mm -hmm. and um, just kind of grappling with all those emotions about what that possibly means and Absolutely. so learning that was super helpful also watching the one child nation i know that came that's, out a little bit after my search but that's a really good movie to watch i know it's one of the things that i recommend i constantly say this in my life both on the podcast and off if you are tied to a chinese adoptee if you love a chinese adoptee i personally think that that's something that you should and almost have to watch to fully if they're going through their adoption journey to fully understand what that means just to get a, yeah. an idea of the kind of tumultuous feelings that someone is going through. I think that's the one of the hardest things about being a Chinese adoptee specifically. I can't speak to the other adoptee experiences, but having to sit with the idea that the, the little bit of information you may have is potentially and even most likely already a lie and kind of building, breaking that down and then building those those concepts back up about yourself and what do you choose to accept as this is my truth and what can you live with as understanding that it's it could not be your truth I think is one of the hardest things to sit with yeah definitely and um that's one of the things that that Jane told us I mean she said that you know some of this information may not necessarily be entirely true in China people really like to people please and kind of tell you the information that that you want to hear and she said that there's even been cases where you do have kind of a story of oh like this person found you at the farmer's market and then lovingly took you to an or orphanage and then um they actually like paid people to kind of be actors or, or actresses in that story so when the birth or sorry when the child comes forward these people are saying oh yes i was the one who found you at the farmer's market and they like cry and they have pictures and they tell you this, this story, but it's not true. And that is what's like kind of messed up that yeah. they would do that. Yeah. But um, yeah. That's like, I, there's a part of me that they understands why that happens, I think. But at the same time, it's, it's hard sitting on the other side of it to imagine how someone can lie about such a personal experience for you and right. that's yeah I think they want you to find some kind of like peace and some kind of reassurance and they don't realize that by telling you a fake story and falsifying that makes it even more hard for you on your journey yeah. like I'd rather hear the truth that you don't know anything um than have something be like made up <laughs> yeah I would 100% agree with that um, and I, I've noticed pretty much, not not all, but, you know, 99% of the adoption stories I hear from China, it's always, you know, I was found on the, I've noticed so many of us were supposedly found on, like, the steps of police stations. It's just, if that was all true, the police stations would be littered with children, all lovingly left in baskets with, like, a memento of whatever that doesn't exist anymore. Like, that's, <laughs> if the yeah. stories were true, that's what would be happening. Exactly. What would you say were the most valuable things and actions that you took in your birth parent search when you were still in America that aided you down the line? I honestly, the biggest things that helped me was looking at those online videos and documentaries and movies, but also reaching out to people within those chats and kind of trying to piece together what should I do what is important um honestly finding my searcher and really like working with her that was super impactful because we did a lot of work beforehand before going to china and that work really like set us up correctly to be able to do a search that was very effective um another thing that i thought was really helpful was just being able to do a little bit of background research on my province and kind of know what the trends were concerning birth parent searches and 
and like were they popular was this an area where um, kids were normally kidnapped and different things and luckily for me I did some research and we worked with this guy Brian Stoy like around 2012 and he mm-hmm. came back with a report specifically on my province and and, and he said no your province wasn't really known for for kids being kidnapped and different things. And so that gave me a little bit of peace of mind to know that I wasn't kidnapped. And so knowing kind of what your province trends are before you go there um, was very impactful. So we talked about Brian Stoy in the past on this podcast in brief. Um, And, you know, he offers a variety of services on his website. So the birth parent analysis that you felt gave you, was that the one, the birth parent analysis or the wait the province analysis. Yeah, I believe it was um it was a province analysis, but he had my name on it. But it was specifically geared towards kids who were adopted from Jiangxi province. Okay, gotcha. So you felt that that value. Would, okay, I have always been interested in because I've looked up you know who hasn't fallen down the the search rabbit hole at like two a.m. before. I've, always seen those services they offers and wondered, you know, what, what would be the most applicable for me in my search? And I think that that's, that's really cool that like you found that it gave you really good value. And I think that that now it kind of has me wanting to, you know, look into that one in particular. Yeah, it, it's definitely cool to have all, all those documents. And another thing we did is, um, we sent Jane all the documents that we did have from the orphanage that that they provided so she could kind of read them over. I mean, they said this kind of the same similar things that I already knew about, like where they found me, how much I weighed, like my health reports, different things. But um, at least having your supposed finding place was helpful as that was one of the first places we went to see if they did remember anything. And and of course they didn't because it was in 1999, all those police people had probably moved out or gone somewhere else and they didn't have cameras back then. And they didn't really, I mean, you can't take really detailed note of, Oh, this baby didn't have a lot of hair and they came in on this day. Like it's really, really hard if there's so many kids coming through. So um, yeah. But but they tried. Yeah, no, that's and it gives you a starting point, even if it's not accurate or if it doesn't give much. It just gives you a place to begin your journey, which I think sometimes starting is the hardest. Not always, you know. Obviously, there's a lot of other hard stuff, but sometimes starting and that jump point can be the hardest step to take in all of it. Just knowing where do I begin. Were there any other uh, services either on buy stories? website or through other people that you had considered um and think could be valuable to people in their birth parent search um I honestly think Brian's story is kind of the way to go like in terms of knowing more background information I would also recommend um obviously different DNA banks so like my taproot 23andMe all those different kind of databases that Um, Chinese adoptees can connect through Um, and then obviously just there are so many amazing great Facebook groups that that you can join especially if you if you are very close with your adoption agency I would suggest joining their pages because there's definitely going to be people who have the same interest of finding their birth parents and and you can connect with them through that group and of course you have a shared common like root of having the same adoption agency that's a really good idea actually um and then you can kind of see like is there success out of your specific orphanage even or from people in your area from your adoption year because I think that that's one of the things that people forget when they're talking to you know Chinese adoptees is or just adoptees that aren't you know the most clean ribbon and bow kind of situations you know sometimes you know, the record, the longer you go, if your records are already starting out as not accurate, the longer you go or the farther back your adoption, the harder it is to even get any kind of success story, especially from the earlier years of Chinese adoption, when it was not as clean as, you know, the process is known for being now. Yes. I mean, 
so, so true. I, I heard about this story about this mother who adopted her daughter in two, 2005. And um, she decided to go and do a birth parent search for her daughter when she was really, really young, like two or three years old, just so that wow. if she wanted to have this information in the future, she would be able to provide her daughter with answers. And her story was actually pretty hard. I don't know exactly what happened, but I think there was some like kidnapping or something along those lines that was not mm-hmm. so much of a pretty story, yeah. but um, she would the mother the mother was totally committed to telling her daughter the truth and in bite-sized pieces of what was age appropriate and then to mm-hmm. have the full story when she was older if she wanted to know a little bit more and yeah. so I thought that 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 was pretty cool because as you know the information kind of dwindles away the older you get because mm-hmm. people move on they move away from that specific area um, people pass away so it's very, very important, important to get it as soon as possible. Absolutely. That's wild because it kind of raises an interesting point is as the adoptive mother, what do you do finding out that your child was kidnapped, but from a complete, like literally the other side of the world, do you, in America, if you find out, I mean, I don't think it would necessarily happen where like babies are kidnapped not not as frequently kidnapped in america and then given to another family normally they're if they're going to be kidnapped and raised normally it's by the kidnappers but what what would happen in america would the child go back to the birth family i i imagine so but what do you do when it's literally in china and it's a whole different situation do you you know that's just uh it's a really interesting ethical point i think yeah and, and the ethical point co- continues when you think about, oh my gosh, since international adoption does cost a lot, our parents kind of gave money to the orphanage as donations and different things. Mm-hmm. And sadly, the orphanage really depends on those donations. And since inter- international adoption grew really, really big, um, parents were wanting to go to China and, and get different kids and different things. But that bundling of money kind of supported oh my gosh we are running out of kids within this orphanage we need to go find more kids to fuel this international adoption and so that can be kind of hard for for people to kind of see and understand that their parents unknowingly sometimes funded this cycle of needing to find more kids to fill the international adoption system so exactly a lot of ethical points for sure, for sure. I think China's, again, I don't know much about other countries' adoption systems. They could be just as complicated. But speaking to knowledge of China, I think it's extremely much more multifaceted than, you know, the average person ever would even begin to think of the adoption process. There's just so many uh ethical points and so many you know what ifs and there's so many you know deeper stories that if you just dig even just a little bit you're going to uncover this rabbit hole of you know just the most insane absolute kind of tragedy that you can imagine it's just it's it's deep it runs so deep (laughs) yeah yeah definitely um so you, you mentioned something before um, about the DNA test, and we talked a little bit about how you did 23andMe. Um, can you talk a little bit more about, you know, what um, turning your 23andMe test into other database results? Yeah, so I also downloaded my DNA into my taproot. And so what I did is, you can there's a place on 23andme to download your raw dna code and so what it looks like is a bunch of weird letters and numbers and it looks like like random code basically Mm -hmm. and so what you do is um you honestly just upload that as a pdf or or word file and um, what it does is in my taproot in their systems they do um code matching so they see like okay if if this is your dna code is there any other people within our database that has similar dna code and so um 
these kinds of things are very long-term um, perspectives that I like to take because the birth parent search doesn't stop just at doing your one, one week of searching, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah. it continues on and, and it continues on through these different DNA databases as more people are willing to have their DNA be, be taken or they're more familiar with the idea because maybe what, 10 or 15 years from now, maybe one of my siblings will be on there you know, and it'll, it'll mm. send me like an email 15 years from, from, from now and said, Hey, you have a connection. Right. And so mm. it's this, um, proactive thinking. And so I'm not like hoping that there'll be anything super soon. Um, it's really my taproot. Um, I've like briefly looked through it and I, I don't have any clear matches. Um, but it's helpful to kind of upload your DNA just in case there is a match in in the future. That's awesome. Does it cost money to upload that raw data to other, or at least my taproot that you know of? I'm trying to remember because I did this all during that month of my senior project. I don't think Mm. it costs money to upload your DNA, but if you want to be part of the community and get like um updates and being able to see your other matches i think you do have to pay a fee um it's it's a yearly fee so it's like i feel like it was like 50 to 50 to 60 dollars um and i think we did you could do a one-time fee for a lifetime subscription and i think that was like a hundred dollars or something that sounds way more worth it unless you get like immediate results which i don't think anybody ever does yeah, exactly. And so um, I think my family did the lifetime subscription one. Um, and of course, there's all different kinds of DNA databanks that, that are mm-hmm. out there. Um, some people I know when they are on their birth parent search, they try to bring DNA kits to China to see if people can kind of take them. But that mm-hmm. kind of brings up different issues because you're transporting people's like saliva, so bodily fluids across um country lines and so that can get a little hairy and you don't know where to store them and just different things like like that and so (laughs) another thing that they're doing is they're paying for people to just have kids delivered to their house or um have kind of a localized testing center or have a data bank within china that that collects all this but then there's the question like oh are they messing with the data Sometimes people like to have outside data sources outside of China to be doing all this matching and different things. So mm-hmm. it really depends on what your view on DNA data collecting is. Yeah, that's that in and of itself, I think, is becoming, you know, more what at one point it's becoming more mainstream, at least in America. But at the same time, the the behind the scenes is becoming more mainstream as well as like what what are we giving away by doing these testing? What are we giving up? And what does that mean for other countries to do those things? Do we trust America with our DNA? Do we trust the China databases? I think as the technology both becomes more familiar to us, it becomes more foreign, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And of course, with all this artificial intelligence and DNA and fingerprints and cameras, like it's it's even more complicated with who do you want your DNA going to and yeah. what will it be, be used for? And can it be used against you in, in the future? And, and all these various questions and will it be mis, misused and will there be a data breach? Um, mm. So those are all very important questions to consider. And what I want to remind people of is like, definitely do not like upload your data without parent consent or, or if you're above age. 18 that is great but but make sure you have someone that you trust to talk to about and don't just randomly upload your upload your dna to random websites that's yeah that's not the way to go <laughs> yeah that sounds dangerous <laughs> yeah exactly consult consult other people let them know what you're doing <laughs> exactly have a parent involved yeah absolutely um and then, so we've talked a lot about, you know, the steps you took stateside to prepare for your journey to China. Um, what, were there any other steps that you did in 
preparation for you know this potentially life-altering journey (laughs) well one of the biggest things i know this sounds really kind of like dumb but um we had to coordinate all sorts of flights because i was actually going to do three weeks before my birth parent search i actually volunteered in a special needs orphanage in beijing by myself and so i had to coordinate my flights for for that and then my brother was was going to come to china towards the end of my three weeks and join me um for a little bit before he did his birth birth parent search and then my family my mom and dad were going to fly and meet us there and then we were we were going to take a train and so there was so many like configurations and and all that logistic stuff and and on that note we also had to deal with a lot of visas which was a little bit stressful and i can definitely tell you more about that yeah can you explain the visa process i i I think uh, a lot of americans had this idea that you know with our american passport we can just kind of go literally wherever we want we can just kind of stay as long as we want but uh i i doubt that that's the reality that happens when we try to travel to other countries especially uh, China for extended periods of time. Yeah, so I've been to China multiple times, and what we've always gotten is the tourist visa, and so um, it's a normally like a five-year visa, so you can go anywhere you want within like the five-year period, c- come back and forth, but you can't stay more more than like three months or or so. And so this time when I applied in 2018. Uh, we had the option of doing a 10-year visa, which was great because then I could not have to go through this process for another 10 years and, and I could come and go as um, as I please, which is awesome. And so we went to our local passport place. It, it's called Passport Health, and they help you with all different kinds of visas for, for different countries. And we applied. Um, they recommended that you apply about two weeks before your trip. And so to be on the safe side, I started the process about a month before because I wanted to make sure everything was set in stone and good. Um, for yeah. my parents, it was really easy because they had they were born in America. They have American passports. They got their visa within three to four days because the consulate for China is in, I believe, Dallas. And so mm-hmm. it gets, all the paperwork gets, gets shipped to Dallas and then they send it back to Austin, which is great. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so for me, though, um, at first, I just um, gave them my my U.S. passport and we gave them my adoption papers, saying, "Okay, yeah, I was born in China, but I'm I've been adopted into an American family and I'm a U.S. citizen, right?" Okay. Yeah. And um, we just sh- shipped them copies. And then the consulate was like, "No, we want the original copies of, of all these different documents." So oh. my U.S. Oh my gosh, it was like my China birth certificate and then I have a Texas birth certificate because um, that's just how it had to work out. And then so we had to send all these different kinds of paperwork again. And um, it was really stressful because I was thinking I think I was supposed to leave sorry, July 1st or so. And um, we had to ship all of our stuff to California. And so it was expedited the night before my trip so I didn't know that I was going to be able to get on the plane and be able to leave because I didn't have my visa until like five in the morning the day of my trip and so that was very very stressful so So, (laughs) oh my gosh I'd be like sweating bullets like oh my goodness yeah so it, it arrived in the nick of time so I would definitely advise um you to do your visa early and make sure that you have your all your documents within hand and they may ask you for more than what they originally said especially since china and u.s relations are very much changing over these past few few years they're a lot harsher and i don't think they're offering the 10-year visa anymore due to different political matters but um yes just definitely just do all your research and apply early so when you so you said you had the five year tourist visa, and you can stay into China. I think you said up to three months at a time. Yes, I believe so. It's like you can't stay there obviously years and years, but you can enter and exit as many times as you want. I believe in those okay. five years without having to apply for another visa, which okay. is great. 
but yeah. you can't stay there indefinitely because you're not a citizen and you don't have a work visa. Gotcha. So. And then you need to reapply, of course, after the five years if you wanted yeah. to. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. That's really interesting, I guess, because I've never, I mean, we know about, you know, visas in America, but I don't think many people have considered and delved into like what it looks like to travel for extended periods of time in other countries or to go back and forth. Um, yeah. And, and it's honestly like, if you do it early, I've gotten my visa before for the tourist visa and it has been no problem. It's a really pretty piece of paper. I think it has the great wall of China stamped behind it. And so um, if you have a passport and you travel a lot, it's kind of cool because you can have different mementos of where you've traveled based on the stamps that you have that's that sounds nice i don't know what else to say it just sounds nice like <laughs> yeah is there anything else that you want to talk about about your stateside portion of your birth parent search yeah i guess i would say that i don't know i would say like do a lot of research beforehand and honestly journal and vlog while you do your trip because I wasn't able to do that but I would definitely recommend doing that as then you'll have a really good kind of sense of what your journey is going forward that's a really good um really good advice because I imagine there's you know like you said you know you grew a lot you learned a lot um and just to to see that tangible change in your personal journey as you go through literally a life-altering experience that would be really really unique to have yes definitely so we're going to actually have Pema back for a second part of this interview um we're gonna in the next part we're gonna delve into her actual time in China and what you know what her birth parent search evolved into in China itself um, so please, uh, I hope you enjoyed this first part of Pema's interview, and I hope that you come back for the second part. Um, I'm really excited to be talking about that with her, and I hope you guys are excited to hear about it. Thanks for joining us today, though. Tune in for the next part um, and many other episodes from somewhere between. If you're interested in participating in one of our episodes, you can email us at somewhere.between.podcast at gmail.com. Uh, join our Instagram family at somewherebetween.fam and stay connected with updates, casting calls, and a whole lot more. Thank you again, Pema, for coming on, and uh, I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>